Thanks for tuning in to a sermon from Redemption Hill Church. If you're in D.C., we'd love for you to come and join us and become a part of the church family. If you're outside of D.C., we'd love for you to find a church family to get plugged into and invest your life in where you can be held accountable and they can care for you. If you'd like to support the ministries of Redemption Hill Church, you can give online at redemptionhilldc.org. Well, thank you for joining us. Uh, If you are here, good evening. If you're at home, good morning, because you're watching this on Sunday. It is a privilege to have some of you in the room and still gather with all of you at home. And if you're watching, thank you for joining again. My name is Trudy Rodriguez, and I'm one of the pastors here in Redemption Hill Church. And today we're going to continue a series that I've been doing in the book of Philippians. We're going to take a small break for the month of July of our series on on Romans. And we're going to take that back in the month of August. But... um, So we're going to be uh, talking about uh, the book of Philippians. Today we're going to be in chapter 2. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can open one. Uh, If you're at home, please join us as well. And the topic that, uh, or the overall theme of this series uh, has been Jesus is better. And we're sort of seeing this in in different ways and from different angles. Today we're going to highlight, and I I believe our passage today highlights, uh, how Jesus' way in seeking unity is, 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 is the better way. So today's topic is, is unity. It's how us as Christians are supposed to seek uh, unity. And, and I think this is a, a topic that is, is very uh, timely for, for the situation that our country, and I, I believe our world, is, is in right now. Uh, divisions are very tense and I kind of need to confess something up front, and, and, and this text has been, confronting, or has been confronting me because I find myself, and, and I'm sure I'm not the only one, uh, constantly angry when it comes to social media interactions, uh, seeing and reading some articles and posts from people who, who have different views than mine, and I'm mostly talking about Christians. I'm not even referring to people who are not Christians because I, I already know they're not going to share my views. Uh, but when it comes to Christians and sometimes, sometimes even pastors, I realize that people that I once or I still consider uh, brothers in Christ, some, uh, now I'm starting to kind of question their faith, their motives. I, I find myself angry at them and, and even labeling people as ignorant or even dumb. I'm, I'm confessing my sin in front of you. Um, and, and, but I realized that through reading this text, my, the main problem is, is basically my own heart and, and the way I am, I am approaching uh, these situations. Uh, I, the struggle I have to listen and to give the benefit of the doubt to others is, is something that I, I'm, I'm constantly battling in I'm not extending grace the way I, I should, and, and, and I'm not extending compassion, which is what I'm supposedly advocating for. So if you are in that struggle, if you find yourself doing something similar to me, um, I believe this is going to be a good time for us today in our country. And if you're at home listening and you also relate, please listen. I, I believe that the Word of God through the Holy Spirit is the only way that we're going to attain real uh, unity and reconciliation. I, I believe that there's no way we're going to convince each other uh, 
we need that supernatural intervention of the Holy Spirit. And, and because of that, we're going we're gonna to pray and then we're going dive, to dive into God's word. Lord Jesus, I pray that today your spirit will, will guide us to all truth. I pray that today your spirit will bring convic conviction of our sin. That, you will, that your word will uh, cut deep within our hearts and that we will find comfort. But at the same time, I pray that we will be confronted with it and that this will end up transforming us and making us more and more like you. Uh, Lord, I pray and I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, Lord. Amen. Uh, because it's been such a long time, and, and I'm sure you don't remember the context of, of uh, the book of Philippians, I want to, I want to give you a little bit of a, a context. If I drink too much water, it's because I haven't preached in English in a while. So every time I preach English, I feel like my voice just gets drier. Uh, I don't know why. Uh, so the, the city of Philippi, it's a very, it was an, uh, a very important city in Macedonia. Uh, it was named after Philip II, who was the father of Alexander the Great. It's a city that still exists today in, in the northeast part of Greece. And, and when Paul is writing to this church, this is a Roman colony. This is a special city for Paul because he planted this church back in Acts 16 and on his second missionary journey. If you remember, this is where he, he meets Lydia. He, he, she used to sell a purple and she, she starts a group and, and people start gathering in her, in her house. And that's basically one of the first church plants that Paul uh, planted. And uh, something else that happened in this city is that Paul and Silas deliver a girl from a spirit of divination, and that gets them thrown into jail. They're in jail, and they start singing and praying uh, at midnight. Remember that? And then the whole jail starts shaking. The, the, the jail opens up, and then the, the jailer gets, um, gets scared that he's going to kill himself. Paul stops him. Uh, the jailer takes them to their house, and the whole family converts and gets baptized. So it's, it's a very intense uh, story that happened in, in the city of Philippi, and it's a, it's a, it's a a, a church that is close to Paul's heart. Paul is writing this letter from Rome uh, when he was uh, in prison around 60 AD, and it's a very positive letter. Mostly, uh, Paul spends his time thanking and encouraging the church. We don't see a lot of rebuking, and a thread that we see throughout the whole letter is, is, is joy. So we're going we're gonna to try to uh, see what we can learn from seeking unity in this text. So Philippians chapter 2, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 18, and it, it reads like this. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and, and, and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied, emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, 
And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Christ, Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, so now not only in, as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the world of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. vain. Even I am to be poured, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of the Lord. So as I mentioned, uh, our topic today is unity. And, and this is something that Paul has been talking about even from the previous section. In, in, in verse uh, 27 of chapter 1, he tells the Philippian ch church, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. And then he invites the church to stand firm in one spirit, having one mind, striving side by side for the gospel. So this is, this is something that Paul is building up to this point. And then um, he, he, he talks about this in the, in the context of the whole society. Paul is, is telling us to, to stay firm, to seek unity in the context of the whole society. But then secondly, he moves on to, to the text that we have in front of us today. And the context is Christian unity, the church. And the verses, verses 1 and 2, he, he tells us. He basically asks the, the, the church in Philippi uh, uh, to complete his joy because of what they found in Christ. And he says, if you find any encouragement, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, then complete my joy by having the same mind by having the same love, by being in full accord. So, so Paul continues to re remind them, stay together, seek unity, have the same mind, have the same love, be in accord, which is what he was talking about in, in the previous chapter as well. So now Paul then, then moves on to prescribe how to find this unity, how to attain this unity in the church. He utilizes the example of Christ uh, as a way to imitate him, to, to uh, find unity. And then he gives us some of the consequences of this unity. So I want to start by uh, pointing out the first thing that I see and I think we can benefit from, from this text. Number one, seeking unity means putting others first. Verses 3 and 4 are very straightforward, very challenging. Paul tells us to put others first. He says things like, do nothing from selfish ambition. Be humble. Count others as more significant than yourselves. 
Don't look only for your own interest, but also the interest of others. And, and if you think about the whole Bible, this is not a new command that appears right now in the book of Philippians or that just Paul came out uh, with to give to the church of Philippi. No, this is in fact one of the first commands, one of the first things that we are called to do in the whole Bible. If you remember in Genesis chapter 1, God tells us that it is not good for us to be alone. That implies that, that we are not supposed to live for ourselves. The fact that we were created in community, that God did not only create one person or individuals, but he created a community, a family that was, was supposed to multiply and fill the earth and, and seek out for the benefit of each other, tells us that we, we have a responsibility for others. We are responsible not only for God's creation, but we are also responsible for each other. Theologian and author Justo Gonzalez says it this way. And he's arguing about how this is a concept that some other cultures grasp real well. He has this book called Mañana, and he says the following. It is not, it is not good for us to be alone. An individual alone is not the person God intended. We are created for or in for otherness. It is only when that for otherness takes place that we are the human beings God intends. This for otherness is for God as well as for creation and for other human beings. We stand amid God's creation as part of it and responsible to it and to others as the concrete expression of our responsibility toward God. Sin is the violation of that for otherness. Sin is the violation of God's image in us, which is precisely the image of God for otherness. God is telling us again that one of the principles, one of the, uh, the responsibilities we have as His people, even as humans, is to care for others, to think of others, to put others sometimes before us as well. And God reiterates this in the law by calling us to love not only him, but our neighbor. And he puts a, a series of commands, right? He says, do not steal. Why? Because it's not about you. Don't lie. Don't covet. Don't cheat. What, what is all this? It's prioritizing others. It's putting others first. Don't think of, of yourself only. Think of others. And Jesus repeats it for us. Love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. And Paul is very clear on what he expects us in seeking unity. And the first thing is to put others first. Prioritize others. In fact, at the end of this chapter, Paul utilizes two people that work with him as examples of exactly what he's talking about. The first one is in, in, in verse 19. Paul talks about Timothy. He says the following, I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Now look at what Paul says about the rest of the people. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. This is an example of someone who's not only looking for their own interests, 
He is trying to help others. And then Paul also uses another person. His name is Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus. And, and he actually tells, the, uh, tells them, uh, the church in Philippi, in verse 25 and 29 and 30, uh, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. And look at what he says about him in verse 29 and 30. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. This is the kind of Christianity that Paul is telling us to live. This is the, according to verse 1, 20, verse, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 27, this is a, a life worthy of the gospel. This is what Christians ought to seek unity, or how Christians ought to seek unity. Paul tells us that in, in this world, we need to put others first, prioritize others. The second thing I see is that seeking unity means focusing on my own sin not only putting others first but also looking at myself when it comes to sin this this verse verse 12 has been utilized to talk about the controversy of whether whether or not you can lose your salvation Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And even though we, we, can, we can sort of use it like that, I, I am more and more convinced now that the context and the point of this text is not to argue for the assurance of your salvation. In fact, I would, I would say that the emphasis of this phrase is not on the work out of your salvation, but rather on the, your own salvation. So what Paul is trying to say, and what I'm trying to say is that the point here is not to make a theological assertion like saying, you better watch out or you're going to lose your salvation. No, what I think Paul is saying is that he's telling us that we need to worry about our own salvation. And I think it's clear that Paul is not implying that we're going to lose our salvation because then he moves on to say, uh, God is the one who's working in you to will and to do. I am, I am convinced that Paul is not saying to fear about our salvation or to tremble about our salvation. It's, it's, it's mostly saying instead of fearing that other people are, are, are taking their salvation too lightly or that other people are, are, might lose their salvation, make sure you're not taking your salvation lightly and, and worry about your own thing, your own struggles and sanctification, which I believe is an echo of what Jesus talks in Matthew chapter 7. Remember that passage of judging others it's a famous famous thing that everybody's throwing out now matthew 7 verses 1 through 5 says judge not judge not that you may not be judged for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged and with the measure you use it will be measured to you why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that is in your own eye or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, hypocrite. 
this first takes take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eyes I believe that what Paul is trying to tell us is is not to never judge anything or that we should never seek to, to confront people I think the point is for you or for us not to be hypocrites and to focus on our own sin first and this is what I think we need to hear today in 2020 a very interesting year our country is experiencing division and we are all policing each other and making sure that each other or others are getting it right we're very concerned about the sins of others and we're slowly starting to forget about our own sin our country is experiencing tense division and and and, and something that reminded me of how this this text comes to life is something I heard about two years ago uh, so me and Bill try to usually uh, go to a theological conference once a year that our, our denomination puts out it's the EFCA theological theology conference and two years ago this conference was held in San Antonio and the conference was precisely about the gospel compassion and justice and, and I'll never forget that one of the one of the speakers was John Perkins and he is uh, a, a Christian activist he actually was part of the civil rights movement and he even marched with uh, dr. Martin Luther King and he was describing us he was telling he was telling us about uh, one of the many times that they were arrested and thrown into jail for one of their many peaceful protests and he went on to say and describe the, the intense anger and hate that he felt towards the cops who were mistreating them and, and he was he was telling us all of his feelings and all the things he was sort of thinking back back then and, and he says that at one point he was able to look right into the eyes of one of these cops and he realized that the same hate and the same anger that he was feeling was the same hate and anger that he was seeing in those eyes they were both feeling the same he realized at that moment that they were not not different from each other and they were both capable of the same exact actions and my impression is that I believe that in that moment the Holy Spirit opened his eyes and he realized that he couldn't just focus on the actions of others and I believe that this is what Martin Luther King was trying to do he was trying to focus on what he that what he could do and I think I'm convinced that this is what many of us need the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to focus on what we can do focus on our own sin I believe John Perkins is an example of someone who fights injustice but he's also an example of the of the way Jesus did it of, of the way of peace the way of seeking unity I remember that in that conference he he spoke in front of an audience that was mostly white and he was the nicest most gracious person I've ever heard he was very direct he spoke he spoke firmly but because of the way he he addressed the situation he changed minds and one of the minds he changed was mine I used to be one of those guys who was not very 
sympathetic to the suffering of others. Even my own people. I did not cross illegally. I never really had to do all the things that most immigrants have, have had to do. And I was very judgmental about many things. And I remember that was a turning point for me to hear someone who had gone through so much and be able to, through the power of the Holy Spirit, see himself as someone who was capable, as sinner of so much evil as, as, as much as the other person. And at the same time, call out for justice and fight for justice. Perkins even goes on to write in a book that he has called Let Justice Roll Down. That every human being should be respected regardless of their opinions. He, he states it this way. I believe in the inherent dignity of all human beings. The Bible states clearly that God created men and women in his image from the very beginning. No matter how damaged people become, they still bear that image. No matter how much people have been oppressed or how much they have oppressed others, that the part of them made in his image is worth rescuing and restoring. Something we need to do in seeking unity is put others first and maintaining focus of our own sin. Number three, seeking unity brings light to the world. Paul tells us in verse 14 and 15, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Family, putting others first, Focusing on our own sin are two ways in which we can shine a light in this crooked world. Because it's contrary to the way this world lives. Everyone lives for their own interest and shutting down people who think differently or disagrees with them. But seeking unity in a gospel-centered way is to bring a much-needed light to a world that's in darkness. Putting others first, focusing on my own sin, it's a breath of fresh air in a rotting world. It's actually shining a light in a world that lives in the most selfish way. Living selflessly is important. It's, it's a witness to the world. As the people of God, we are called to be the salt. We are called to be the light of the world. Some of the other terms that the Bible uses to, to, to describe us as Christians is we are ministers of reconciliation. We are peacemakers. We are the hope of the world because Christ is the hope of the, is hope of the world and we are the body of Christ. We represent Jesus above everything else. We are ambassadors of the gospel above everything else. We are children of God above anything else. We're Christian before anything else. And that's something I have to remind myself constantly, especially today, in this day. I am a son of God before I am Hispanic. 
I am a redeemed, redeemed sinner before I am Mexican or American or whatever my passport says. In fact, I am not even a citizen of this world. My real citizenship is in heaven. I am a disciple of Jesus before I belong to any political party. I am the light of the world before I am a father or a husband. And so are you. If you call yourself a Christian, we must step up and be the light of the world in a time of division. We must seek unity the gospel way, putting others first, focusing on our own sin. And then Paul moves on to tell us that Jesus is our ultimate example of this. Jesus is our ultimate example in seeking unity. He tells us, if you're going to do this, do it like Jesus. What, what is it that Jesus do or did? He didn't hold on to his position as God. He emptied himself and came to us. He humbled himself. He, didn't, he died on, the, on a cross for us. Just, just think of this. Jesus died for dumb, hard-headed, stubborn ignorant and arrogant people like you and I. The perfect, holy, all-powerful, all-knowing, sovereign God of the universe died for a wretched sinner like me. And he was seeking unity. Jesus came down to bring unity, to reconcile us to God. We were at odds with God, and He came and brought us back to God. We were enemies of God. We were under the wrath of God, and He came and brought peace for us. Jesus came down to bring us back to unity with God. And Jesus is our ultimate example of someone who fights for unity and peace and brings reconciliation. And he achieved it. He did it. We went from being enemies to sons and daughters of God. From children of wrath to children of grace. And Paul is calling us to imitate precisely that. And something we need to hear is that some of us are holding on to our positions and our reputations so tightly that we'll shame and even detest anyone who dares to challenge our opinions. And that goes both ways. It doesn't matter where you land, if you're on the right or if you're on the left or if you are in the middle, it doesn't matter where you are. We're, we're all guilty of these. We're not willing to humble ourselves and take a more gentle approach. And the reason why we can't do it is because we're sinners. It is because of our sin that we, we like to be right. We like to win the argument. We want to put that, that, that article that, that clears it all for everybody. We want to we say that thing that proves that we are the people who get it. We're very good at being selfish. We're very good at being all about ourselves. And if you, if, if you think about it, we, we've actually perfected this idea or this, this ability to be selfish since we were little. 
And here I come with my illustration using my kids. Yeah, yeah I'm sorry. I'm surrounded by them 24-7. I have four of them, and my brain doesn't have any uh, space to do or think of anything else. But So here we go. My kids are very good sinners, just like their dad. And I think we're all like that. And, and my kids are so selfish, and they're, they're, they're training. Hopefully, they won't be like their dad. But my kids cry and get mad because it's someone else's birthday. They cry because other kids get presents. Recently, the school, uh, the school year finished, and I have a first grader and a third grader, and they were both upset because my daughter, who was in kindergarten, got to graduate. So she got, to, she got dressed in her favorite outfit, which is a ballerina outfit, and, and we, we drove by the school in our minivan, and all the teachers cheered, and, and my kids were mad at her in the back because they didn't graduate. We explained to them that you don't, you don't graduate from first grade or third grade, but they were mad. And, and that's, that's, that's the way we are. I am like that. I have perfected the sin of being selfish since I was a little kid as well. And it's hard for me to think of others, to put others first. It's hard for me to look at my own sin. It's better and it's easier for me to look at others and other people's sins. I'm really good at that. And that's why Jesus came down and did it for us. That's why he is our substitute. Not only in his death, but also in his life. Because he is the perfect selfless being. He lived the life that we were supposed to live. And not only he lived the life that we were supposed to live, he also died the, di the death that we were supposed to die. He took the punishment we deserved for our selfishness and died for us on our cross. He forgave us. He died for our sins. And He made us one with God again. He brought us back to His Father again. If you're not a believer and you're listening to this, this grace, this mercy from God is available to you. He came and did it for you. You can't, you, can't do, you can't live the life that you're supposed to live. And that's why Jesus came and did it for us. And this grace is available to you. If you come and repent from your sin, this grace will transform you. And if you are a Christian already, this grace that you have received translates into action in actively seeking unity. Because, this, because of this grace, now we can live selflessly. The grace that we have given by God empowers us to live in a selfless way. Especially in a divided country, in a divided nation, in a divided world. Because of this grace, we can now extend grace to others. Even if they're right or if they're doing it wrong. Through God's Spirit, we can live thinking of others and putting others before us. Inside and outside of the church. And it is not in our strength, but in, in the, by the Spirit. When we are weak, He's strong. So I want to encourage us to listen to others, to give people the benefit of the doubt, to be wise and remember that God tells us in Proverbs 15, a soft answer turns away wrath. 
but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouth of fools pour out folly. And there's a promise for us in this. And it's the promise of joy. Seeking unity brings us and others joy. And if we're honest, we all can use a little bit of joy. Paul continues to bring in verse 17 and 18 this thread of encouraging people to rejoice and talking about his joy and completing his joy. Paul continues to emphasize that all of these things that we do bring about joy to all, to all of us. I am convinced that seeking unity in a gospel way by denying ourselves of our rights and seeking others or putting others first will bring joy to us ultimately. There is joy in serving others. There is joy in humbling yourself to serve others. Living selflessly for the sake of unity will bring us, us and others joy. And I can tell you from my personal experience that the moment I start just living for myself, enjoying my own stuff, and not pouring my life into others, the more anxious and the sad, the more sad I get. I was talking to someone the other day and I was telling them, when we move back to DC, there's, there's something that happened to us. And we realized later, what was it? We started to think a little, a little anxious, a little sad, and this is something that me and Carla shared. And we realized that our, our amount of serving others dropped significantly. When we were in Mexico, because of our position, and I'm not saying this is wrong, I'm just, I'm just giving you an example of how is it that pouring into others, even though it's exhausting, brought so much fulfillment and so much joy. And we, we started looking around and we were like, we're in a beautiful place. We have everything we need. I'm not worried about my kids getting kidnapped anymore. But there's, there's, this, there's this sadness that comes over you that is just when, when everything turns around you. And we realize we need to pour ourselves into other people. Selfless living brings joy. Sacrificial living brings joy and the call for us today is to seek unity through imitating what Jesus did on the cross for us and the promise for us today is that if we do this there's joy at the end of the road and if we can't find that joy or if we see glimpses of this joy on this earth there is ultimate joy and glory forever for us So I want to encourage us all to ask, how are we approaching such a tense and hostile environment that we live in today? Are we being light? Are we considering others? Are we focusing on our sin? Or are we looking at the others and finding their sin? And let me just clarify before I close. I'm not saying that we should not raise our voice for justice. I am not saying that we should not have convictions. I'm talking about 
the how you do that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. Thank you, thank you for the example that you have given to us in sending your son Jesus to be with us, to die for us, to reconcile us and to bring unity between us. Lord, I pray that today by your Holy Spirit we will be able to truly and fully be light, be light in this world. I pray that we will do things in a different way. That we will do things without grumbling, without disputing. That we will be gentle. That we will show this love and this grace that we have received even though we didn't deserve it. I pray that your spirit will guide us and transform us into being the light of the world that you want us to be. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen.